always start. We can't change the, like... I'm just so excited to get to my, uh, to Peter Tobin today. Okay, well, then let's just get to Peter Tobin. No, let's not. Let's get, let's get into this. Okay, we had two shots. We're in. We're ready. Do you feel it? The shots? Yeah. Oh. I'm starting to feel it. I don't, I don't, I haven't, like, since I've been home, I haven't really had any alcohol mm. since. I haven't had any alcohol for, like, two weeks, yeah. Oh. Except for the last time we recorded. Last Wednesday. Yeah. Is it, it's Monday. It's fine. Oh, my God. It, we, were reco- we were recording this episode approximately four hours before everybody will hear the episode. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exciting. This is practically a live episode. It is. Ooh. 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 Yeah. So, um, hi. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hey. Welcome to Anyways, How's Your Sex Life? Hey, what's up? We are your slutty hosts. I'm Channa. I'm going to say hey one more time. I'm Corey. And uh, Simone's with us today. Simone is blessing with us. With a, blessing this is us like with the first program. episode in like a few episodes. Yeah, because we keep on accidentally locking the cats out. Well, we did that for a reason because S'mores got grounded from the podcast because she was a little too young for it. Oh, that's true. But now we're back with Simone. S'mores is somewhere, probably in her tunnel or something. Being an octopus. Being a hentai because kitty. Because she's cute. Hentai kitty. Um, important Simone note. Since we are recording this episode approximately <clears throat> four hours before you were listening to it, yes. you can still go view our Instagram story of Simone. Aww. Go on our Instagram story, turn up the volume, and, it's so fucking and just cute. listen to Simone's cute little voice. But yeah, go go look at it. It's very cute. Simone talks for like 45 seconds straight. It's adorable. Oh, yay. She does. She's like, meow, 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 meow. And our Instagram is anyways, how's her sex life. Our website is ahyslpodcast.com, and you can also view our Instagram directly through our website. So go to it, y'all. Yay. You can also follow us on Facebook. Do we have any announcements? No. We don't? Okay, then I'll just jump in, right? Yeah. Get, get, tell us about your affogato fact. Okay, my my affogato fact is, when do, do you know what episode we like did affogato? Like 100 episodes ago. <laughs> Why were we Why were we talking about? Oh no! Is when I did the history of faggot. Yeah. Yeah. History of faggot. So whenever that was. So whenever that was, it's like episode twenty, early twenties to mid twenties. It might be the ones when we actually did Ted Bundy. Twenty five and twenty. Twenty four, twenty five, or twenty five. Yeah, something like that. Um. So my (laughs) mine today is titled the Gay ABCs, the Gay BCs, Ah. Part One of Three. So I did this, and then I was like, oh, my God, Black History Month. And my segment today is focused on Black History Month or inspired by Black History Month. But today, my faggot fact will not be inspired by Black History Month, but next week's will be inspired by Black History Month. And then after that, I will go into, is it um, Women's Appreciation Month? Is that the, the specific title of March? Because it's, it's the month of women, Channa. I know, but I don't know March. if it's called Women's Appreciation Month. It isn't? I don't know. So, I don't know the ac- exact exact title of the month of March, but, but March is always like women. Women power. Women power. But I don't yeah, know if feminism. it's called Women's Appreciation. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, okay, Corey, every day is Women's Appreciation Day for me. Very true. Very so true. I wake up in the morning and go, fuck you're like, yeah. You're like, hi, vagina. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I slap my titties together and I'm yeah. like, here we fucking go. And you look at go. someone and you're like, what's up, pussy? Yeah. She's like... Hey. We all touch titties She's like, in the morning. Meow. <laughs> Jordan's like, I'm lucky. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, there we go. So let's get into Gay ABCs, part one. Part and then I'll return to part two and three at the end of March or after March. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're doing Gay ABCs. Uh, let's start with A is for ace. Ace is an umbrella term used to describe a variation in levels of romantic and or sexual attraction, including a lack of attraction. Ace is usually 
used at, or normally uh, frequently used as short for asexual, like mm. ace, A-C-E, like ace hardware. Okay. Ace um, is the place done a hardware store. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, ace people may describe themselves using one or more of a wide variety of terms, including but not limited to asexual, aromantic, demis, and gray sexual, and, and gray asexuals gray sexuals i believe what's that's what's gray sexual so i did not look into that because i would do it i'm gonna do faggot facts on that what i did focus on was the difference between asexual and aromantic it's pretty it's pretty self-explanatory yeah asexual uh mostly people do not get are, are not sexually attracted but then there are there are varying degrees of asexual and some asexuals will still have sex and then there's aromantic where people will have sexual relationships and be sexually attracted to people but not romantically attracted to people and there's varying degrees of that as well yeah ace is usually just used for asexual whereas uh i think it's arrow oh my gosh i'm so wrong i for like uh, let me pull it up arrow the marvel tv show yeah i actually have a a friend of mine her little sister is asexual yeah but she's in a like very serious relationship like they're engaged and everything um, oh, but she cute. does have um, sex because she understands, like, the importance of sex in a relationship yes, and how yeah. important it is, especially for, for the partner. other person. Yeah. And so even though, like, she's, like, not super into it, I guess you can say, but she understands the importance. So she does have sex. So just because they're asexual doesn't mean they don't have sex. Exactly. Like, like she does have sex because it is important in a relationship to fuck. To fuck. To fuck. <laughs> Aromantics are sometimes just abbreviated to arrow, and then asexuals are usually ace. But sometimes, I guess, a, a, you know, ace can just refer to anybody in the encompassing asexual or a enter something. Mm. Um, but I think it's mostly arrow for aromantic and ace for asexual. So, yeah. Um, also, when I was looking this up, uh, I found a really cute image that has a guy doing finger guns and he goes no romo because oh. he's aromantic like <laughs> no homo funny. but it's no romo that's that was cute. so cute it's like the cutest fucking thing um okay moving on that was just one <laughs> we're not doing all of the, yeah part one of three so i'm only doing nine letters okay okay b is for butch b is a term used in lbt uh lb or like in the queer culture to describe the someone brr culture the brr culture who expresses themselves in a typically masculine way so, there are other identities within the scope of butch, stuff to have soft butch, stone butch, etc. But you should only use these terms about someone, or you shouldn't use these terms about someone unless you know that they identify. Uh, so, oh, that's, and that's okay. a good thing to say. I'm going to actually get F is going to be for femme, and I'll get into that as well. People like to describe themselves as like a butch lesbian is like the probably poster child of be, bu- people identifying as butch. Yeah. But some people do not like being identified as butch le- lesbian and maybe see it as derogatory. Where others might like it and and then say, hey, yeah, I'm a butch lesbian. I understand that. Be yeah. fine with that. Yeah. Now we're going to go C is for uh, cisgender or cis. Someone who, uh, so being cisgendered is someone whose gender identity is the same as the sex that they were assigned to as birth. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so like I would be a cisgendered male because I identify as male and I was assigned male at birth. Yeah. And we're going to get into some fun shit, like real cool shit that I've, we've asked this, I've asked this to the ether 
on the on this podcast like two or three times Ooh. yeah i'm excited like it, i was like fuck yeah i finally got an answer it's oh, really cool thanks podcast thanks podcast thanks phallic so if you go on the internet yeah thanks phallic <laughs> thanks phallic he's like um, <laughs> so d is for dead naming so dead naming which i actually didn't know was a thing um like i knew like this happened but i didn't know that it had a a name name a that term. identified a term that identified this happening i don't even know what dead naming. <clears throat> tell us tell so us that dead naming is calling someone by their birth name after they have changed their name oh so the term is often associated with trans people who have changed their name as a part of their transition ah okay so f is for femme Femme is a term used in queer culture to describe someone who expresses themselves in a typically feminine way. So there are other identities within the scope of femme, such as low femme or high femme or hard femme. Um, but again, you shouldn't use these terms uh, when uh, talking about somebody or like identifying somebody unless they've already used it themselves. So G is for gender. Um, there's one. It's really for one other thing, but I just want to say gender first because there's a lot of like different things that people might not have heard. Um, gender dysphoria, gender identity, gender expression, gender reassignment and gender roles. Um, so I will get into uh, some of those topics when I talk about transgendered people. Um, but yeah, that's like could be a whole nother faggot factor too. There we go. So, okay, so H is for homosexual. <laughs> H is for homo. Homo. <laughs> homo. <laughs> homo. <laughs> okay, so. H is for homo. Um, Do stuff together. <laughs> U is for you and me. N, N is, is for anywhere. Anything at home now. Come on and fuck me. me. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, so homosexual, and I think I've brought this up in an episode before, is the first time I heard reference to what I'm about to say about homosexual was in a sociology class at BYU, the Mormon College. Ooh. Um, so Apparently, homosexual is considered offensive or... Oh, we did talk outdated, about this. Yeah, an outdated yeah. term. And when I read that, I was like, wait, what? You know, but it makes sense. Um, so it's an outdated clinical term considered derogatory and offensive by more and more people. Um, the Even the Associated Press of New York Times and Washington Post restrict the usage of the term. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, basically, you just call gay... Uh, gay males gay or les or gay women lesbians I, i'm sure you can call lesbians gay as well but usually now because you don't use the term homosexual homosexual men are, are referred to as gay and homosexual women are referred to as the lesbians more that's like more the appropriate huh you know words we use still so interesting to me because i remember that faggot fact we were both like what the fuck well yeah well yeah i just remember being in class and being like what the fuck you're like, like i'm a homosexual <laughs> <laughs> you raise your hand excuse me excuse me i am a motherfucking homosexual <laughs> <Sir>. <laughs> mascaras like, but yeah um I, th I would say definitely nowadays too since that's happened i think i say this when we talked about this a few uh, like i don't know a good amount of episodes ago that when I see the term homosexual now, I usually only see it when it's talked about scientifically or academically, clinically. Mm. Yeah. But I don't even know if that's, you would do that anymore too. But I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, that's so really, still here's the really, really, really interesting one. I'm almost done. Ooh, so yes. I is for intersex. Oh my God. Here oh we go. my God. I'm so excited. Okay. So people who naturally, that is without, any medical interventions develop primary and or secondary sex characteristics that do not fit neatly into society's definitions of male or female. So if you're basically the uh, key example is if you are born with one or more than one of the sex organs. Okay. okay. Like one or you can be like with a half or with both over, you know, stuff like that. 
Many visibly intersex babies slash children are surgically altered by doctors to make their sex characteristics conform to societal binary norm expectations. Did you get that? We say that. Yeah. So many visibly intersex babies and children. So many babies that are uh, born with visibly born with both, both sex uh, organs. Both sex organs are surgically altered by doctors to make their sex characteristics conform to societal binary norm expectations. So usually they will get rid of an ovary or et cetera. So they'll they'll so like they'll ask like the parents, "What do you want? Yeah, the baby like, to yeah, be? The baby looks more blah blah blah. Let's make him more blah 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 because we're heteronormative society. Damn. Yeah. Um, so that so that actually happens. That's a heavy decision. Way more often than we think. That's it really does. crazy. So intersex people are relatively common, although society's denial of their existence has allowed very little room for intersex issues to be discussed publicly. <gasps> so yes. intersex has replaced the word hermaphrodite, which we asked. I, we've we've like gone over this like two or three times. I I. Yes. Yeah, we've been like, oh my gosh, we know that word exists, but we know that that word is not appropriate anymore. So what is? So it's like, yeah. so what is the word used? So it is intersex. I think we also were like, maybe it is intersex, but we didn't know. Yeah. Because I was going to get to it in a future fact fact. And here we are. But, and here we are. So it has replaced that word. I won't say it again, which yeah. is inaccurate, outdated, problematic, and generally offensive since it means having both sexes. And this is not necessarily true as there are at least 16 different ways to be intersex. Fuck. Wow. What fuck? That's like... That should be a whole Isn't that just fact. sad how we're like, no, you have to be a boy or a girl and have a penis or, you know... Yeah. Uh, ovaries and a vagina. They're like, and sorry. And it's just like, no, there's 16 other ways to be human, That's at least, that nuts. are medically identified. <laughs> fucking, fucking... Fucking humans. Fuck. <laughs> fucking, fucking heteros. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... Um, so the last one is J... And I actually looked through three different websites for stuff J that's like relative, you know, related to queer, and there isn't. So you guess what? J is for J Lo. J is for Judy Garland. J is yes. for Julie Andrews. J is for Jane Fonda. J is for Jamie Lee motherfucking Curtis. Yes. J is for Jennifer Garner. That's personally for me. J is for motherfucking J.K. Rowling. Ooh. J is for James. What? Dumbledore's gay. Because Dumbledore's why. gay. Because everyone's gay. Oh, actually though, J.K. Rowling is recently problematic because she said something on Twitter. Ugh, fuck. But she I forget what it's about. So. She's, she's crossed out. She's in the doghouse. Bye, JK. <laughs> um, J is for James Dean, John yes. Hamm, Jude Law, Jamie Bell, because fuck me. <laughs> yeah. There James Franco. But James, not, James Franco. But yeah. he might be a bad guy. But he might be a bad guy. Damn okay, it. so I'm done. Sorry, that was a little long. Where what else could J be for? J could be for who else is like hot and important? Channa Jones. Channa Jones. <laughs> Jory Martin. George, <laughs> George. with the J. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. That's the that's the closeted version of me. <laughs> I'm the George with the J. <laughs> oh, I love um, it. So for my spooky scoop, we are going to talk about some fun little statistics for y'all. It's fast. It's a good time. It's yeah. not a good time, but it's an interesting time. Okay. So we're going to be talking about the most used murder weapons in 2018. What the now, fuck? Now the reason I'm talking about 2018 is because. The FBI just came out with this list in September of 2019. So it's recent. So oh. it takes some time for the FBI to, like, you know, figure out the list from the previous year. Yeah. So, like, the 2019 list. Like the Oscars. Yeah, exactly. Like, the 2019 <laughs> list will be out this fall. So in fall of 2020, I'll go through the 2019 list. But as of right now, I'm going through the 2018 list. Got okay. It. Are you guys ready? Mm-hmm. 
All right. So here, I'm going to ask you a question. Do we want to go from the most used weapon down to the least used or the least to the most? Okay. So what do you think is the least used weapon for murder, Corey? Well, wait. This is a top 10? This is a top, I don't know how many there are. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Anything can be a weapon, There's 10. There's 10. Just, just name something random. A fork. <laughs> I, that, I don't know what category that would fit under. Uh, silverware, utensils. Okay, no. Don't, no, no guesses for you Damn left. Um, poison. Ooh. So in 2018, five people were murdered by poison. Five. This is in the U- U.S. This is Oh, and all this that information makes me go watch a murder mystery. is straight from the FBI's website. I went through like all of their yeah. graphs and tables and everything from 2018. This is it. Legit. Okay, the next one is drowning. Nine people were murdered by drowning. Murdered. Murdered. This is like murder. Like it was a homicide. Yes. Next, strangulation, 70, which is interesting. You'd think that'd be higher, wouldn't you? Yeah. Next is well, fire, 72. Like lighting people's houses on fire while they're in it. I know. Next is really interesting. No. Narcotics, 78. That makes sense. Just by like crushing up drugs and yeah. shit. Next is asphyxiation, 90. Okay. Next is uh, blunt objects such as clubs, hammers, Ooh. table legs, which is important. Baseball bats. Baseball bats. You know. You know. My dick. 443. That's a big Whoa. jump. Next is personal weapons such as your hands, fists, feet, okay. elbows. 672. But that's not to be confused with strangulation. That's different. Oh, my God. That so was so like, close to 666. I know. God damn it. God those damn those, it. Pe- those, those extra, extra murders. 72? Yeah, so there's 672. Those extra six? Yeah, those fuckers. Next is other weapons or uh, weapons just not stated. 900, so mystery weapons. Which is interesting that that's a category in its what own. What the fuck? But okay, maybe multiple weapons. I kind of interpret that oh, as okay. multiple that makes sense. Yeah. potential causes of death. Yeah. Or they couldn't pinpoint an actual cause of death. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so then we have the last two. Oh my God. Guns what? is number one. Okay, so then what do you think number two is? Knives. Yes. Yeah. Knives are cutting instruments. 1,515 murders in 2018 by knives or cutting instruments. Damn. And finally, guns let me pull up that total because that's only uh hold on one second and guns are you ready for this number of how many murders done by guns and guns include handguns i'm guessing more than nine thousand. so this includes handguns rifles shotguns firearm you know all guns yeah in 2018 more than nine thousand less than 13 10,265 murders by guns so it's 10,000 guns, 10,500 knives, 900 miscellaneous weapons, 600 your body, 450 We have like no objects. idea how many people like are on this earth. <laughs> it's like uh, right? unfathomable. So in total in the United States in 2018 there were 14,123 murders on this list. That I talked about 14, How many is that a day? 14 I don't know, Google it. Okay, what is it? 14,123 murders. 14,123 yeah. divided by 365. Yes. That's almost 39 murders a day. Ah! Holy shit. <laughs> Crazy. Oh my God. 
So I also have another statistic, but I might go through it next week. And it's the number of murders per state in 2018. But but I'll go through that next week because that's a lot of listing. That's 50 okay. lists or that's yeah. 50 things to list. But anyways, that's my spooky scoop today. That was a fun spooky scoop. We had fun We had fun little uh, scoops today or yeah. segments today. That was my most positive thing I'm going to mention today. And <laughs> that wasn't positive. Oh, shit. That was not positive. So We were treating that too fun almost. People died. <laughs> people, 14,000 people died. That's crazy. 39, 39 people, people a day. died a day. I don't even know 39 people. No. That's all the people I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's go to my supernatural segment. Yes. Okay. For uh, Black History Month, I was like, hey, I want to do folklore or uh, scary stuff uh, surrounding African-American culture. Um, so I went and looked up, or I didn't even really super plan for it, and I was just looking up uh, cryptids, and uh, I, I searched, like, the scariest folklore of each state. Mm. And for South Carolina, um, the boo hag showed up. So I did my segment on the boo hag. So, so what is the boo hag? So I'll just like go into it and then I'll get into like some cool shit. I literally started out searching what I just said, like what is the scariest folklore of each state and then ended up watching a seven minute video on what is the difference between a pigeon language and a Creole language. Like, oh my God. Here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, how's your I was so fucking all over the place. Also disclaimer for anything that may sound like may like could be maybe racist i literally searched on google hey is this a derogatory term hey is this problematic or anything like that and everything was super safe to me the only uh, th- there was only one thing that said could be used derogatorily but it also is identifying a certain people um i will probably just say it once and then say what it references because but i think it's like really a thing like Somebody taking, oh, I'm I'm a West Texaner, I'm from West Texas, and then turning it, and then, like, somebody made it derogatory. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to say it once and then say, hey, it might be problematic, but it is also, like, an actual factual identifier that people still identify as today. Yeah, pretty much what we're saying is Corey did his fucking research to make sure this was pretty PC. Yeah, and, yeah. But if at all, if this comes off as offensive at all, just yeah. talk to us. Like, let us know. Yeah, I also will we use did the- our best. Oh, sorry. I might say the word colonial, and I also will use the word plantation. Those have been have uh, seen as problematic as well. Yeah. So that's just a, like a little like heads up. Yeah. Um, so, but I really won't use them a lot. So the boo hag is a Gola folktale or cryptid native to the lowland and island regions of South Carolina, Georgia, and northeastern Florida. So the lowlands uh, are basically the lands that are near like the coast okay. uh, of South Carolina. And specifically, the lowlands refers to that area plus the island regions of South Carolina. That's where this culture that I'm talking about originates, is specifically from South Carolina. So the Boohag are similar to vampires as they are undead beings that feed off of humans. But unlike vampires, they gain uh, sustenance from a person's breath as opposed to their body. Spooky. Yeah. The so they of sort life. of like they're sort of like dementors as in they like suck the life force out of their breath. Dementors are scary. Yeah. There's also like a sort of version, um, an early version that I saw referenced uh, where they suck blood out of the nose of people. Ew. I don't know. But it, it's more they suck the, their life essence through their breath. Ex- almost exactly like like a, a dementor. Now I am just imagining dementors. <laughs> no, you're not, because they are skinless and I'm are no said longer. to be bright red in color because they're skinless, like okay. you know. But they're but it's not supposed to be just like 
a bright red. It's supposed to be like an unnatural, bright, weird red. Okay, no longer Dementors. <laughs> With bulging blue veins and bright glowing eyes. Ew! <laughs> they survive in the world as they steal a living person's skin and wear it like clothes so Fuck they can you. move a like move around during the day without any suspicion of what they are. Um, if they don't have a skin, they usually just hide in the darkness until they find somebody that they can take skin from. Ew. So at night, they shed this skin and they usually they literally will store it away to then go look for a victim to quote unquote ride R I D E. Okay, all right there. Like we're we are always like joking about sex stuff there is like arguments as it's whether whether to not it is sexual thing that they do or not and it also ties into sleep paralysis which i had no idea oh my but God. i just got through sleep sleep paralysis i even found a reddit that was has anybody seen the hat man or uh the boo hag and i was shit. like what the fuck like, like the coincidence you're of like that. anyways has your sex life yeah, i was <laughs> i was like let me fucking tell you you're like i have a podcast <laughs> it's really good yeah so, um, I'm sorry, this this one is actually going to get a little informative, and I'm going to get a little history, and I will try and sum it up, but, you know, I haven't really gotten go. history and, you know, into it for a few episodes, yeah. I suppose. So, so, let's get into it. Before, quote-unquote, writing a victim, the hag first determines a sustainable victim, and then will try and enter the victim's house through a small crack or crevice or hole. Ooh. This can be an opening in a window, to a chimney, to even the hole of a keyhole. Even the hole of a butthole. Even the hole of your butthole. If your butthole is outside, <laughs> then it is. Uh, the it will crawl is in you. up your butthole and out through your mouth. You are butt chugging a dementor. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to butt chug a dementor, <laughs> go to South Carolina and at night shove your ass out a window and just sit there and wait. That is a podcast title: <laughs> butt chug a dementor. A dementor. <laughs> But chugging in a mentor. Okay. So before writing the victim, the hag first oh sorry, I already said that. <laughs> Once inside Yes <laughs> your butthole. <laughs> the hag will ride the victim. Yes. So the hag positions themselves over the sleeping victim, oh, sucking really? their breath. Their this breast? act renders the victim helpless and induces a deep dreamlike uh, sleep. How deep? The hag <laughs> tends to leave the victim alive so as to use them again for their energy. However, Kinky. if the vic victim struggles, the hag may take their skin and leave the victim to suffer. After taking the victim's energy, the hag flies off um, as they must be um, in their skin uh, by dawn and like sort of hidden away from dawn. Or they will be forever trapped without skin. There's also iterations that say they'll just die. Jeez. Um, I'll, I'll explain this a little bit. When the victim awakes, they may feel uh, short of breath and also generally feel like they never slept at all. So they'll wake up feeling really tired. So there's also a famous expression um, that this was said like in every article I was reading that is in South Carolina. It says, don't let the hag ride you. Okay, yeah. that's sexual. So, yeah, right? <laughs> Go so on it porn sounds hub. sexual and there's arguments of whether or not it's sexual. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, like who knows? Um, but basically, uh, if y'all listen to the past two episodes, that's very similar to sleep paralysis. Yeah. People f will wake up with feeling something is on their chest and it can't make them move and they'll feel really tired later on and stuff like that. Um, also, it says that when I was talking about them either stealing the victim's skin, they were talking about like if you uh, sometimes people will wake up and see the hag on top of them or oh just feel God. the hag on top of them like sleep paralysis. And they say to not struggle against it because then that's when the the uh the boo hag will realize that you're awake and then will rip you of your skin like rip your skin off and then your skin will become their new identity that is a yeah. bit dramatic yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> they realize you're awake. They're like, I'm going to fucking they're rip gonna your skin fucking off. They're going to fucking fuck though. you up. Oh, you're awake? Oh, <laughs> you're going to get fucked. I was just going to suck your life out, but like. Mm, but now I'm going to make I'm gonna you. take your fucking skin. <laughs> now I'm going to make it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Let's go into a little bit of history. And because this is Black History Month, I want to get a teeny bit history. I'm sorry. If you're pissed off, you can suck my dick. Like, I don't care. Suck my um, um I'm going to talk about the Gola or the Geechee culture. So that word, the second word after Gola that I said, that is the one that is considered, can possibly be considered derogatory. Okay. Um, but it, it refers to the Gola culture is more uh, today considered for the, South, uh, the people of this culture in South Carolina, so African-Americans that still uh, cultivate and uh, retain this culture. And then the other one is for Georgia, more specific to Georgia. Okay. Have So, Chana. Oh, God, does the don't word, ask me a question. Does the word gola spark anything in your mind? All like, can, any synapses? All I can think of is Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Okay. <laughs> Just because no. goal, that, that goal. So anybody goal. here who is, like, you know, an early to mid uh, to mid 90s on Nickelodeon. Hi. Um, there is a, a show called Gullah Gullah Island. And I had oh no idea. Oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. So I'm going to, y'all, oh like, I God. called my mom about this connection and, like, screamed to her for five minutes about it. Ah, this so is let like... me play the intro to this Nickelodeon. This is, like, with Face. Like, Face comes on. He's, like, your moderator in between. Holy shit. Bright sunny weather, let's all go to Gala Gala Island. Gala Gala. Gala Gala. Okay. So I used to watch this show all the fucking time because it like came out in 1993 and I think it ended in the 2000s. I used to watch this show all the time. And it is about a uh, black family that live in South Carolina on one of the islands. And they have like the like, I guess it's like very Gullah culture. And I didn't know. But as a kid, all I remember was like there's a fucking huge uh, polywag that's uh, yellow and it was an all black family. And they're just like always talking about like, hey, like, let's accept other people's cultures and stuff like that. And, they, you know, how they would like go off on little like, you know, the after school special stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And I just remember just being like, oh, I love this show. I just always love this show. And I never made the connection. That's but so wild. It was called Gullah Gullah Island because they were Gullah. You people. know, you know, whenever you see those Facebook or Instagram posts, they're like, who remembers these shows? Yeah. And it like pulls out a deep memory that you haven't yeah, thought of in like 20 years. Gola Gola Island to me. Like, I haven't thought of this since I like, it's like the deepest, fuzziest memory. Cause I was yeah. like a, a yeah, little, Yeah, I'm sure little, you little, saw little like kid. maybe five, 10 episodes when you were like little, as little, fuck. little, little, but it's yeah. just like a fuzzy, like deep, like holy fuck moment. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I'm shook These things always make me feel And like, it's so Ugh. cool cuz yeah, so cool. I just all your like in as a as a kid, I remember being like, "Hey, this is a fun ass show. I love it cuz I'm a fucking kid and they sing <laughs> and I love this intro." I'm a fucking but then kid. I also do remember making the note of like, "Hey, this is about like a lot of their themes were like accepting other people for their differences." Mm-hmm. And that is really cool. Like it was just so fucking cool. The connection is awesome. Um so yay life. <laughs> Life's fun sometimes. Okay, so back to the Gola. Thanks, Nickelodeon. Yeah. <laughs> also, thank you for Blue's Clues. <laughs> thank you for Blue's Clues. Thank you. Um, so because we're doing this podcast today, <laughs> because we learned how to look for clues. <laughs> we learned how to look and for clues. And that's how the true clues, crime podcast generation which was leads born. Leads to research. <laughs> okay, so back to some history. So the Gola are African, or sir, are African Americans who live in the Low Country region of the U.S. states of Georgia, Florida, and South Carolina. I've already said that before. 
or that's basically because th- that's where the Buhag um, originated from, because the Buhag is a folk- Gola folklore. They developed a and preserved a Creole language, the Gola language, and a culture rich in African influences that make them distinctive among African Americans. So that's specifically what I what I want to go off about on a three minute history lesson. So just like buckle up for Here a we second. Go. I'm buckled. Um, before we get into it though. Um, if y'all don't know what a Creole language is, most of y'all have maybe heard that word Creole. So a Creole language is a category of language. And if y'all have heard of pidgin languages mm. and Creole languages, pidgin languages are basically when there are multiple people from multiple cultures and languages that come together and they need to uh, speak. Uh, they need to communicate and get something done. They will usually make up a immediate language of understanding so they can get stuff done. Okay. So you can see in this example of um, what I'm about to get into, the history of this comes from uh, African Ameri- or Africans being taken from Africa and put into enslavement to work on plantations and stuff in colonial America. Okay, so you can see how a pidgin language would arise between all those people being taken from Africa, put together to try and survive and work, and, and like, I mean, forced to work in this labor. Yeah. So that's a pidgin language, but then what a Creole language is is when the biggest difference because I watched a seven-minute YouTube video <laughs> about it. So now he's an expert. And now I'm a fucking linguist. I'm a linguist You're now. You're a fucking oh linguist. <laughs> we are, we're we so are many fucking things. linguists now, Chad. We we're so many it. things. We just need like an honorary degree at this point. I know, right? Somewhere. Oh, my God. Harvard. I'm looking <laughs> at you. Harvard, you bitches. So a Creole language, when a pidgin language evolves into a Creole language, is when they become native speakers. So when the first generation, when there's a first generation of people that speak the pidgin language that was created in that like you know acute environment where they needed to like communicate yeah the first generation when those people have kids and they speak that language that native language then it becomes a creole language okay there may be like more definitive uh things but just but that's like the general we're moving on this is a supernatural podcast like yeah we're not a linguist (laughs) moving on i just thought it was very interesting and it's like attains to the black culture that i'm talking about yeah yeah and it's black 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 history month how do we? So I want to focus now for the next two, three minutes on the fact of how the Gola culture is so like interesting because it was super developed and super preserved even till nowadays. History lesson time. I am super brushing over. This is broad strokes. I even like made this a, like this is literally a page of notes that I have that I took from like three different websites, including Wiki. So basically, what happened is how the Gola culture came about is. The enslaved people from central, the central western region of Africa, which is known as the Rice Coast, and I looked up to see if the Rice Coast is an offensive derogatory term, and I didn't see anything negative, okay? If okay. it is, I'm sorry, but I looked that up. Okay, uh, so it is the Rice Coast, which is the central western region of Africa. So basically what happened is a lot of people were taken from there and, and put into slavery and sold out of South Carolina, the people figured out that there is African rice that farmers in Africa would cultivate. And so when they were like, hey, these people know how to cultivate African rice. Let's grow African rice in South Carolina in the South. Okay. Oh, hey, it works really well. So let's keep getting people from this region. And they're put in this region. And for uh, reasons of isolation, um, malaria problems, also the Civil War and hurricanes, I was, like that is Fuck. that is a book four books of broad strokes that I just went over. Yeah. These people were uh, separated from 
white and British culture uh, versus others, other slaves in different states or other African or other Africans in different states. Um, and so they were able to like make their own pidgin language, which have, have developed into a Creole language cool. and culture. And it was just, it, it's so cool. That's it just, so interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah. It's just like, fuck yeah. We don't need to get a ton into it and it's not our place to get into it a ton. So if you would like to just go to Wikipedia and look up Gola, G-U-L-L-A-H and inform yourself about it. Okay, so let's go into sort of the origins of the Gola origins of the Buhag. Yes. So one of the beliefs uh, that the Gola hold is that people have both a soul and a spirit. So they believe that souls leave human bodies upon death. And if it's a good soul, it ascends to heaven. The spirit of a person has different functions. A good spirit stays behind to watch over the deceased family, guiding and protecting them if needed. So a bad spirit, on the other hand, is a Buhag. The Buhag uses witchcraft to manipulate people and steal energy from the living while they sleep. So that's basically where the Buhag comes from. Um, so let's go over some like little fun facts around the legends of the Buhag. One of like the first little tidbits is that there are some warning signs to let you know that a Buhag is close. Ooh. First, the air will become very hot and damp, which is demons. very different. Well, demons, it's usually cold. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and this is hot and damp. So second, the air will smell like something is rotting. That's demons. pretty demons. Also, uh, like I've said before, if you wake up in the morning and you're exhausted from your night's rest like you never slept, they usually say you've been visited by a boohag. Fuck. Um, this is where we get into something really cool that I've wanted to talk about a bit, and I might talk about next time in a Supernatural segment. But the boohags have some uh, some weaknesses. So one of the first big ones is that, um, like other evil spirits in Gola culture, um, they are repelled by an indigo blue, or it's not really an indigo, it's like a light blue, which is called a uh, haint blue. And haints is also a Gola word for a ghost, a haint. Oh. And this is a, a word that I really just literally before this podcast started spent five minutes searching in all different That's words, true. combinations. Chana was here while I was trying to make sure that that wasn't a derogatory word. And I did not find any evidence that it was. I even literally looked through two different lists of ethical, ethnical, not ethical, <laughs> <laughs> ethnical derogatory words. And it did not come up at all. So, but so if it is, fucking send us a fucking uh, message, please. Send our DMs about it. Yeah. So a, it's weaknesses. One of the weaknesses is the... The is color haint blue. The color haint Which blue. is like a light... It's like a light semi-aquamarine blue. Pretty. Yeah, it's very pretty. <laughs> um, so if you go outside and paint the tops of your window frames indigo blue or haint blue, boo hags won't be able to get through those windows. Ooh. Salt, too, is a good uh, boo hag repellent. The salt, uh, the salted hag can't get back into its own skin and it will basically like almost sometimes melt like a slug Ugh. or it'll like burn it. Like, you know, when like ghosts and like supernatural touch salt, they're like, it like burns yeah. like it's holy water on a vampire or something. Ooh, so could you do like a circle of salt around you? And, yeah, like, wear that blue? would protect you from. Yeah, yeah. From it. That reminds me of Hocus Pocus when she does the circle of salt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so she cute. She throws it around. It doesn't even create a full circle. I know. It's stupid bitch. <laughs> One of the biggest things, too, is that the easiest way to avoid a visit from a boohag coming through one of your windows or your door is to keep a straw broom with a brush until uh, with many bristles close by. It is said that boohags have to, by some supernatural compulsion or just because they're curious, they need to count every straw <laughs> on that broom. That's and funny. And they say that you need to get a specific broom with a lot of strands so that by the time that they count it, <laughs> it's it'll be done. So they have to run away. Isn't That's that so, so cool? I love awesome. that. Um, they're the, like, fuck you, bitch. Yeah. 
<laughs> they're like looking at you. You're like looking up through the window. You're like, fuck you, like, bitch. Oh, you want my skin? You want to talk about my mother? Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. The very basic original version of this folklore is that they will come up to your door and go through a key, the keyhole, as the I said. Hole. Yeah. Yeah. So what they said is that you put the broom in front of your door. You, you like hole. lay it out on the ground perpendicular or parallel to your door, the threshold of your door, so that they won't go in through the keyhole. Life That's hack. Like the original thing. Life hack. Put a broom stick, like the handle, in your butthole with get it in as as hard as far as you can. So the broom the broom uh, sticks are hanging out of your butthole. Wear blue and cover yourself in yes. salt and you are safe. And you are safe. <laughs> um, they also say strainers will work because they need to count every hole in the strainer. Okay. Isn't that fun? So there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to avoid to avoid this. Here's another idea. Prolapse your butthole. There we and go. then the, the boo hag will have to count the rings on your prolapsed butthole. There we go. That's actually the greatest there idea we've go. had all night. The easiest and Your greatest. rosebud, if you would say. Oh, <laughs> oh so great. Here we are. Anyways, how's your sex life? Um, they also say that if you wake up and discover a boo hag on your chest, like I said, they say do not fight it. Because uh-huh. if you fight it, then the boo hag will steal your skin. Dementor you. Yeah. Th- or no. Oh, it's like, already dementoring you. It's skin, Just rip your skin off your body. It's like fucking pyramid head. Yeah. It's going to serial killer you. Yeah. Um, also reciting Psalms 121 is said to be a good protection. What is that? Please read it to us. Oh, should I read it? Yeah. You can't mention a Bible verse without reading it so we can pick it apart. Psalms 121. And I, Nephi, being born of goodly parents. (laughs) (laughs) The Bible gateway. (laughs) Let's go. Psalms 21 is a song of, uh, essence. Ooh, okay. Let's twerk to it. I lift my eyes to the hills. Yes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed. Oh, that's that's very like that. You know, that's relevant. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Shade. Yeah, okay, girl. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Oh my God. There you go. So recite that. If you okay. Want. Here's the thing. Like halfway through you reading that, I like checked out mentally <laughs> because it like brought me right back to <laughs> oh church. And I literally, if you asked me to repeat the last like five lines, I couldn't tell you what you said. Channel, I got up and got a glass of water. Yeah. I, I like told you to read it. And I'm the one who stopped listening because <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> um, also, more signs that the boo hag is close by. Uh, some dogs will sense her presence and start to bark. They'll oh they'll also start howling at the same time. Crows will also recognize a disguised boo hag. So like when they're in their skin, Ooh. and they will cry out if she should pass by. So if you see somebody walking by a crow and they start squawking, they're fucked. They're a boo hag. Um, then the smell of rot and decay will follow and fill the air. Interesting that that little rot and decay because that's like demons, boo hags, like everything like negative, like spooky spirit wise. 
always smells gross. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. Oh, and they literally Makes say, sense. like, their skin is rotting, and that's why it's the weird red yeah. color. Yeah, and they, like, represent death and despair. Uh, um, they say that things. if you notice one of these things, and you're pretty sure they're a boo hag, that the only way then to, de- like, basically there's some sort of supernatural metaphysical connection the boo hag realizes you realize. So in order to protect yourself, you need to publicly declare like yell out and point at them and be like you're a boo hag and that's the only thing that 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 will like uh sort of um like what's a good word you're like boo hag boo hag quote unquote castrate them in a sense okay and also usually boo hags boo hags are considered a rendition of a hag so they are most always a female oh or like referred to as female also, uh, there's some stuff where this gets into hoodoo, but I don't really want to go into that because I'll do like something on voodoo and hoodoo in the in the in the future. Um, but they say that men and women who dabble in hoodoo can uh, use incantations to trap a boo hag and even kill it or repulse it. But one of the cool ways that I saw that you could trap a boo hag is that they trap it into a bottle when they have taken the form of an insect. And then the insect is to be taken out carefully and then killed. And that's how you can kill a boo hag. Whoa. Yeah. There's also other that's ways cool. of like boiling a boo hag, et cetera, et cetera. Making boo hag soup. Yeah. But they're all like all over the place. So yeah, that's the boo hag. Fuck. That's cool. And also, uh, you know, some of the Gullah culture. Go look that up on Wiki. I like end it. End of my supernatural segment. Good segment, Corey. Yeah. It's super fun. Okay. Shall we go into my subject? Yeah. Today I'm going to talk about, well, it's a two-parter. Let me just tell you right now. Well, technically it's almost a three-parter at this point. So Bible, Bible John is what I talked about last episode. Um, if you did not listen to last episode, go ahead and just pause right now, listen to the last episode, and then come back here to this part yeah. of this episode. Because, uh, yeah, one of the suspected people, like serial killers from last episode, um, is the guy I'm talking about today, Peter Tobin. So, again, this is going to be a two-parter. I originally thought this was just going to be, like, a one-episode, you know, easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy serial killer. But about four hours into research, I barely scraped the surface. And I was already, like, four pages into research. (laughs) And I was like, okay, this is going to be a two-parter. Yeah. So, this is a two-parter. And then after I'm done with this, just to let you guys know, exciting announcement for the entire month of March I'm going to be doing cults. Cult. So just like how I did in December, disappearances or kidnappings. Yeah. March is going to be cult Ooh. month, and including the Manson family. So it's going it's gonna be a good time. Um. So let's talk about Peter Tobin, the serial killer. Did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, I did. Good. Okay. It was a good time. It was a good time. The ending just made me cry. If only it was real. I know. So, anyways. Peter Tobin. So we're going to first start with, we're going to talk about the murder of Angela Cluck. Okay. Angelica Cluck. Angelica okay. Cluck, she was 23 years old. She was a Polish student. She was studying Scandinavian culture in Poland. Um, oh, okay. She was a really kind, trusting, ambitious, you know, beautiful young woman. She had her entire life ahead of her. Super bubbly, smiley, became everybody's friend. She was just a, a great person. Um, in the summer of 2006, she decided to move to another country to work and learn English. Um, she decided to move to Anderson, um, Glasgow, Scotland. Um, it's a very small and like quiet town in Glasgow. She got a job as a cleaner at the St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Church. 
Whoa. Um, she was paid hourly. She was given a place to stay. Every single meal is provided to her. It was like a fucking great job. Set up Plus, for her. Yeah. she learned like English the entire time in like a safe environment. She was at a church in fucking Scotland. Yeah. Um, she was completely set for a great summer. Angelica, she went through summer befriending as many people as she could, you know, including the priests, churchgoers, and the handyman, Pat McLaughlin. She was really good at her job. She was always on time, never missed a shift. Raising my eyebrow, handyman McLaughlin. Yeah. She was just an overall, like, great person. Um, It is important to note, you know, she was learning English, like, slowly but surely during the whole summer. Yeah. Now, the summer, you know what, by... Then all of a sudden, it was September 25th, 2006, and she did not show up for her morning shift. The priest thought it was a bit strange because, like, one, she's never missed a morning shift before. But two, she's the type of person where if she had to miss a shift, she would at least try to communicate that with somebody. Yeah. It was really unlike her character to just not show up. So the priest. <laughs> she's not a millennial. Yeah. Basically, is what we're trying to say. Yeah. Like, this is 2006, y'all. This is not 2019. <laughs> So she didn't roll up. She didn't show up. The priest was like, okay, I'm going to go check out her, her like living quarters just to make sure she's okay. Maybe she's sick. I don't know. He went to her room, knocked on the door. No one was there. He like walked into the room, all of her belongings there, but she wasn't there. He was like, okay, this is weird. I'm not going to freak out though. Like maybe she had to go, go somewhere. She just couldn't communicate with that, communicate that with us. I don't know. So he just kind of waited around all day for her, but she never showed up. He felt pretty uneasy about the situation, so he called the police and he filed a missing persons report that night. Whoa. Um, police Good job. came. Yeah. Well, okay. Side note. I later found out this priest was, like, not a good guy. Oh, okay. So, fuck him. But I'm not going to talk about that, like, yeah. this like this episode, because this is about the serial killer, but... Yeah. Like, I he's read... He's also a horrible human being. Yeah. He's, like, Shocker. a... He's, like, a Catholic priest, like, raped kids and stuff. Oh, God. I found out... Okay, yeah. That was, like, released way after this murder case, Whoa. though. So, the priest is not a good guy, but so that's... So, fuck literally every human so yeah. being besides... And Angelica Angelica, right Yeah, now. fuck everybody. Long story short, <laughs> fuck everyone. Okay, again, I'm, I'm never the the fun, positive person. <laughs> surprise. Literally 90% of human beings are fucking idiots. Yeah, surprise everybody. <laughs> horrible people. This is going to be a sad episode. Big shock there. <laughs> Police came to the church. They interviewed as many people as they could to see if they could find anything about her. Maybe she had to go somewhere. Maybe yeah. someone knew you know, something, um, but no one knew where she was. No one heard anything. Angelica, like I mentioned, she barely spoke English. Um, so a lot of the people just assumed that she went somewhere and just couldn't communicate it. Yeah. So they weren't really worried. They were like, you know, maybe she had to go visit family or a friend, or maybe she had an errand to run. Like she'll be fine. But the priest who we now know is a shitty person um, and the police just didn't really have a good feeling about the situation. So like, okay, no, something, something's kind of up. And so they kept on like digging into it to see if anybody really knew anything about it. Um, and that's when the police discovered the last time anyone saw her was the night before her disappearance. And she was hanging out with the handyman, Pat McLaughlin, which Corey already said he was oh already sketched God. out about. Um, that's when people realized they also haven't seen Pat since her disappearance. And then at this point people were like, Oh, Hmm. Okay. Maybe like something bad did happen. Oh no. So Pat was the church's handyman. Um, he was a charismatic 60 year old dude. Um, everyone in the church knew him. They felt comfortable around him, but still like he was the last person to be seen with Angelica. And now, 
they can't really find him. Okay. So police asked the church. They're like, yo, do you have his address, his phone number? But apparently the church didn't keep records on any of their employees. All they had was a picture of him from, like, you know, a church meeting or whatever. Um, but they didn't have any info at all. So police took that picture. I'm still not really thinking that he was like a suspect, but at least thinking that he might have more information. Um, they released that picture on the news. Um, this was like the next day because, you know, they the police yeah. pulled up there that night. Um, and within minutes of that picture being on the news, they were they were just flooded with phone calls and tips about this Pat McLaughlin. Um, it wasn't long until they discovered that Pat McLaughlin <laughs> did not exist. They're like, 20 years from now, this is going to be talked about in a podcast, and just at his name, somebody's going to raise their eyebrow. <laughs> yeah, and just at Pat McLaughlin, someone's going to be like, that's not real. So, like, yeah, obviously the police found out that wasn't his real name. His real name was Peter Tobin. Oh, God. So while police started their search for Peter Tobin, other investigators were looking for Angelica because she was still missing. Yes. So they obviously just started to st- decided to start at the church because that was her last known whereabouts so they first entered the chapel of the church because that's like the biggest part of the church and one of the investigators pointed out that it kind of looked like some of the floor was raised above or underneath some of the carpets kind of towards the <coughs> front of the chapel and he was like that's a little odd like it's not really even the floor oh, let's, let's go take a closer look so they walked over to the to that area and they looked down and they realized that there was a trap door under the carpet and under the St. Patrick's Cathedral yeah, in, in Glasgow, the chapel. Scotland. In the chapel, Jesus is looking down at this scene. You know the whole ripped Jesus, ripped crucified yeah, Jesus, ripped crucified whole in the hand <laughs> Jesus, right there looking down at this trap door, which led to a his small, eyes are like, oh! yeah, like <laughs> he's like y'all. <laughs> he's like this is not what Jesus would do. So it led to a small storage space. So they shined a flashlight down there. You know, they just saw, like, normal church storage it shit. It reminded me of, like, yeah, I'm in a Korean Jesus. Yes! You do a Korean shit. <laughs> Go watch oh 21 and 22 Jump Street. Go we have watch 21 22 Jump Street. Like, no. Get, wait. Get high. Then yes. watch 21 and 22 Jump Street. We need to do which that. we need to do that. We need to do that before you leave. Okay, let's do that for like 420. Oh, just to let you know, side note, Corey, I, I'm I'm like cultivating a giant list of things we need <laughs> yes, to do before you we leave. we need to do that, yes. They shine a flashlight down there and they saw, you know, just normal church storage shit, bags and boxes. And they're like looking at looking at it. You know, it was a really small opening. Oh, okay. So they're really looking in it. And that's when they they noticed something it kind of looked like fingers were sticking out like in between some boxes and bags so this girl her name was carol rogers she was the senior forensic scientist on this case she was there and she was the one doing the flashlight She she was like okay she's like are those fingers like am i fucking crazy so she was like you know what like i need to go down there like there's only one way for us to really figure this out now the entrance to the storage space is important to know. It was tiny. Like she's a like a relatively like petite woman. Yeah. Um, and she had to like remove her belt, her like badge, her pager, her flashlight, <sighs> everything in order to like shimmy down. I'm just thinking of Evil Dead hole. for some reason right now. And then she like got down to this tiny like it, you know it's, she's like GI Joe crawling yeah. in the storage space. It's like tiny. Like if you're claustrophobic, this is your literal worst nightmare. So she like shimmied down this tiny little hole, got into the storage started like t- like removing boxes and bags out of the way and that's when she discovered the naked bloody body of Angelica Kirk. Oh no. Angelica was found with her knees tucked 
um, to her chest and her wrists tied together with cable ties. Pause real quick. I need to, my, I sound a little different. This is in 2000? 2006. Six. She had 16 stab wounds in the chest oh and God. multiple bludgeoning wounds on her head. She was violently raped and multiple semen samples were able to be taken from different parts of her body. There was also splinters in her hair where like that bludgeoning damage was. Carol Rogers, who discovered the body, she had to spend over three hours in this tiny crawl space examining the body for clues. Yeah, before they'd move it. Before they had, before they moved it. So she was literally like pretty much on top of a body in a tiny space, like smaller than that closet. Oh, really? Yeah, like teeny, teeny space on top of a body looking for clues. Like it's, it's a claustrophobic like nightmare. Yeah, we're saying like five feet wide, like one foot wide and like five feet long. Like maybe yeah. a little bit more. It's it's a small. It's like just imagine a a crawl space under chapel floor. Like, oh it's not gonna be goodness. that big. And like it's small enough for the body. Like the knees had to be tucked up in order to fit down there. Jesus' eyes are like bulging. And there was like They're a like few boxes, so it was a couple feet space. deep, I guess. Small, small, Damn. small, small enough for like multiple interviews with her. Like that was the point where she's like, I had to spend three hours in a. <laughs> she's box. like, let me say that one more time. Yeah. <laughs> So now they had Angelica's body. They still couldn't find Pat McLaughlin, a.k.a. Peter Tobin. So they're like, okay, let's at least go look at his workspace because maybe that can give us some clues as to what the fuck was going on. Now, his workspace was just like the garage of the church, but it's not a garage where you keep cars. It's just like a workspace garage where there's like a storage area, like a wood shop area. There's like a bunch of shit in this this area. Now, upon entering... One investigator noticed what looked like a small drop of blood on the floor. So he looked at it. He, like, got down on his knees, and he's like, yeah, that's blood. And he decided to circle it with the Sharpie so they could easily see it when they were standing up. Um, But, like, when he was on his knees, he was looking at it. He, like, looked around, and he realized there was other, like, tiny drops of blood kind of surrounding it. And he's like, okay, like, I'm going to keep on circling. So he, like, walked, crawled around the floor, circling the blood. Okay. Like, finally, he was like, okay, I think I got all the blood. And he stood up, and he looked down, and he counted more than 30 spots that he circled on the floor. And then he looked up. And then he noticed (sighs) that there was blood, like, tiny blood spots all around him. On the furniture, on the boxes, on the walls. And he was watching it, just moving his head up and up. And he noticed that there was blood splatter all up on the ceiling. What? So police labeled the blood as impact splatter, meaning the blood flew off the victim and as she was struck with the weapon. That was the blood on the furniture, the walls, everything like that. Now, the blood that was on the ceiling, um, that is known as cast-off blood. So when the bloody weapon swung back to strike uh, again, that that's sense. the blood that splatters off, that like comes off the weapon and splatters on the ceiling. Yeah. So obviously they realized this is where Angelica was murdered. Um, knowing that she was hit in the head with a wooden object because of the splinters they found on her head that I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, they started looking for the weapon and they discovered that there was a missing table leg. So even though um, she was struck multiple times in the head with the table leg, um, this was not technically her cause of death. Okay. So pretty much what happened, like I'll just piece together like this whole murder. 
So Peter Tobin knocked her unconscious with the table leg, you know, multiple times, beat the shit out of her. She was knocked out. He then tied her hands together with the table ties, moved her body um, onto a sheet that is like this vinyl type of material. So like blood couldn't soak through, um, proceeded to rape her and then uh-huh. dragged her on that sheet into the chap- into the chapel of the church, raped her again underneath Jesus then took out a knife, stabbed her 16 what, times. Like, is this like in the middle of the night? This is, yeah, after after hours, after church hours. But so. don't people live in the cathedral or like off side to the cathedral? I mean, people live there, but I mean, he, knocked her out. he probably knocked her out pretty fast. Oh, she was knocked out when he like raped her in the cathedral. Yeah, okay, exactly. Okay, so yeah. like everything that he did, like. Like he, he, she was unconscious before they left tight quarters. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like. She walked into his, he, this is probably what happened. She knew him. She befriended him the whole yeah. summer. You know, he was friendly, Pat McLaughlin. He was like, hey, can you come clean up something for me inside of my workspace? Because yeah, she was like a cleaner that. at the church. Yeah. She walked in the to the workplace. Most likely she was busy looking at something. That's when he struck her. She probably fell down immediately. He struck her a few more times till she got knocked out. Oh. Knowing she was knocked out, raped her, put her on the sheet, then dragged her. The like everything yeah. was calculated. He knew exactly what he was going to do and like, when. Like take her to the crawl space. Yeah, yeah. Like every single move was planned out. It was not random or like everything was planned out he's a serial killer yeah so he dragged her to the chapel raped her again stabbed her 16 times in the chest and then put her body in the storage room under the chapel it's important to note that he dragged her to the chapel raped her underneath standing jesus stabbed her in front of standing jesus yeah like that's that's crazy fucked up on so many levels more fucked up than serial killer yeah Multiple semen samples were found inside of her, so they collected the samples and sent them in for testing. Um, the tests they tested the samples against every single semen sample in the Scottish database, but nothing came up. So they're like, okay, let's try in the national, like the UK database. So this would, you know, search the entire UK database. Is a database for semen? That makes sense. For like DNA, and then they found a match for Peter Tobin. So they were like, okay. We um, know who this is. We know who this is. Like, we found a match to a semen. We found her blood in the workspace. We found her body in the chapel. We can't find him anywhere. We also were able to find, um, like, some item that was next to her covered in his fingerprints. So they're like, okay, this is fucking Peter Tobin. He brutally raped and murdered Angelica Cluck. Where the fuck is he? Is he? Yeah. At this point, when they discovered all this, it's been about a week since she was murdered. And Peter Tobin was long gone. Police ran newspapers, ads, news stories, just all across the UK asking for tips, sightings, etc. And then hundreds of miles away in a hospital in London, Peter Tobin checked himself into the hospital for heart problems under the name James Kelly. A nurse recognized him from the news and called the police. Yes. Police arrived and Peter didn't even try to pretend that he wasn't Peter. He was like, yeah, I'm Peter. Is this about Angelica Cluck? Oh, shit. Whatever. He, he was arrested. He doesn't care. He, yeah. He doesn't care. He was arrested and sent back to Glasgow for trial. The trial started in March of 2007, and he was found guilty of rape and murder of Angelica Cluck and given a life sentence. Throughout the investigation and trial, uh, police were becoming more and more suspicious that this was not his first murder. You know, the way he spoke about Angelica and the murder with ease and confidence was pretty unsettling. Well, didn't give a shit that he was caught. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, a really important note is the fact that he was 60 years old at the time of the murder is pretty significant because that's fairly old for someone to commit their first violent crime, especially murder that wasn't a crime of passion or something. Yeah, it wasn't like lines. second degree. It was yeah. like first degree. Like, it, yeah, it's very rare for an older person to commit a random sexually motivated crime. Like usually those type of crimes, like those acts start in their 20s or 30s. Yeah. So investigators are starting to get a little bit nervous, like okay, we have this guy. He just committed this, like, violent act. It was obviously really calculated. There Someone's was, like the BBB ballroom. Yeah, like, there's, like, a rhyme and reason to everything that he did with her body. There was, like, a timing to it. There was, like, a whole process. He's really confident, like, there's no way this is his first murder. What was the bar? The Blitz Bodega ballroom or something? The Barland ballroom. There we go. I'll mention that in a bit. <laughs> And the, and the crime scene itself, like, it wasn't chaotic or disorganized. Like, yeah, there was blood splatter from the weapon, but everything else seemed to have order to it. And, you yeah. know, there, and everything was pretty thought out. Like, there was, there was a way he did it. Like, he charmed her. He knocked her unconscious. Then he raped her. And then he brought her somewhere. And then killed her. And then raped her. And then hit her. Like, it wasn't... It was, it was pretty clean besides There was the no, like, splatter. oh, shit. What, oh, shit, you know. Yeah, there yeah, was obviously, no like, no panic. It was, And then, he, like, he escaped right after changed his name like this obviously wasn't his first time doing this yeah all of this plus the fact that he was known to give out fake names um, was enough to make investigators create a team to look into peter tobin's life to see if they connect him to anything damn so they knew this wasn't going to be easy after the trial of angelica's murder they found out that peter was constantly giving out fake names throughout his entire life um, and he was always traveling around the uk yeah so tracking big Peter, red flag. Yeah, and tracking so tracking Peter Tobin was virtually impossible because Peter Tobin didn't always exist. He was always changing his identity. So yeah, he was born Peter Tobin, but one day he could have been James Kelly or John Stevenson or George Martin or Chana Jones. Like he was always changing his identity. So instead of working backwards, so from the time Angelica was found murdered, they decided to start at the very beginning of Peter Tobin. Okay. So here we go. Peter Tobin was born on August 27th, 1946 in Scotland. He was the second of eight kids. There was four boys, four girls. Um, he lived in a working class area, but his family was pretty poor. Um, he did grow up Christian and he throughout his entire life up until like today still says that he is a Christian. Okay. Um, now his parents, you know, they treated their kids like shit. They were not the loving parents. They didn't ever, they never hugged their kids. You know, they were the very, they just treated their kids almost like objects, like property. Um, so every single kid, not just him, all of them, they started acting out um, at a pretty young age and they were getting into trouble. Um, Peter and like all of his siblings, they were violent with each other and like the parents would just stand by and watch. Like they were terrible parents. All of the kids were terrible kids. At just six years old, six. Peter started misbehaving in school, bullying kids, and started getting into theft and burglary at Jeez. six. As a result, he was sent to a reform school where he stayed in until his late teens. Now, the reform schools, like, in the 50s, like, they were fucking wild. Like, it, <laughs> it was pretty much inc it was Ragers incredibly every abusive. Night. So yeah, fun. It, was, it was, like, incredibly abusive. It only made kids worse. Like, kids didn't become better. It was just, like, a vicious cycle. They just learned how to become criminals from each other. Got it. Like, yeah. the kids that left reform school, like, they were, they were set up for failure. 
Um, once he left the reform school, Peter started traveling around the UK using different names and he continued robbing people, stealing from stores, etc. Um, and in 1968, 21-year-old Peter Tobin became a regular at the Barland Ballroom. Fuck. Go listen. Pause. Go listen to the last episode. Jesus. Now we're back. The Barland Ballroom is in Glasgow, Scotland. Um, he met 16-year-old Margaret Louise Robertson Muttney at the Barland Ballroom. So Margaret was sitting at the bar one night um, when a tall, handsome, well-dressed young man walked up to her and asked her for a dance. This sounds very similar yep. to last episode. Um, Margaret and Peter, you know, they danced the night away. She just completely fell for him. He was charismatic. He schmoozed her. He made her feel like the only girl in the world. He just immediately started manipulating her from the very first uh. night. You know, after that night, they started dating and everything just seemed fucking amazing he'd pick her up and drop her off on time he always showed her respect you know especially in front of her friends and family he showed her love and praise you know he wanted everyone to think that he was boyfriend of the year well lisa that's what it looked like on the outside but on the inside like things weren't great peter was just manipulating the hell out of her friends and family into making them believe he was the greatest guy on earth. So if Margaret ever felt like he wasn't, she would feel like she was alone or crazy. So he was just isolating her. Peter destroyed her self-esteem and made her feel like she just wasn't worth anybody else's attention. He made her feel completely dependent on him, et cetera, et cetera. Like just classic domestic. (laughs) Everyone right now is like thinking about their significant other. Like, "Mm." yeah, but this is, so I had like a month long uh, domestic abuse, spooky scoop. And like everything I just mentioned is just classic characteristics of domestic abuse. Now, one night in 1969, uh, Margaret went over to Peter's apartment for a date They hung out for a bit, and she decided it was really late. She wanted to go home. You know, she was only 17 years old at this time. Okay. Peter asked her to stay for the night, but again, she was only 17, and she still lived with her parents, and she was like, I probably can't do that. I need to go ask my mom if I could even stay over. Yeah. We're not married yet. It's only 1969. Let alone have sex. Yeah. Yeah, so I probably can't. Plus, it's really late. Like, can you just take me home? I'll talk to her about it. I can stay over another night. But he would not take no as an answer. I'm terrified. So she was like, no, I want to leave. She stood up to get to leave. Peter stood up in front of her, blocked the door, and Ah. said, you are not leaving. Fuck. For the next year and a half, Peter kept her pretty much locked up in the apartment. No. um, Where she was repeatedly raped, beaten, manipulated, belittled, and isolated. This is, y'all, this is attention, gay men mostly, but people who go on Grindr and apps and... (laughs) Yeah. Send a screenshot of where they are to your friends. Well, you know, her friends and family knew him. And what? he would just, he just acted like. He was like, like, she disappeared? No, he was just like, you know, you could, ra- she, she was what? allowed to see your friends and family sometimes. But he was such a great guy to them. They just thought that they were in love and living their honeymoon phase in their apartment and blah, blah, blah. Like, and they, he just manipulated her entire friends and family to make them believe that nothing was wrong. He made her pretend everything was fine or, you know, he would hurt her more. It's just classic domestic abuse. Like he was Are you so fucking kidding me? abusive. Uh, I like think this is crazy and never happens, but it probably happens, happens all, all the, the time. time. All the time. Sorry for like my privilege on that. God damn it. Yeah. You know, so she, like I said, rarely allowed to visit friends and family every time, anytime she was home, which is all the time. 
I'm like biting my nails. Yeah. <laughs> Samars might try to walk on her computer just it's to warn true. you. But I don't she, need it. She had to do everything he told her to do. What the fuck? And he was extremely paranoid this entire time that she would try to escape. So he would watch her every single move, including stare at her while she was in the shower, stare at her while she went to the bathroom, peeing, pooping, period, doesn't matter. Just stare at her. Stare at her while she was eating. Stare at her while she was getting dressed. Like, she could not leave his sight. Anytime she's even with her friends or family, he was right there. So even if she had... What did she do when he needed to go to work or something? He never really worked because of his criminal history. He was always just continuously stealing. Who's making money? What's going on? Just stealing shit, selling shit. He was not a good guy. One time in 1970, Peter pinned Margaret on their bed and was going to rape her just like he had every okay, single night yeah. for the past year. And she just begged him not to rape her again. She sat there and she just wept and she just begged him and she said, just kill me. Please just fucking kill me. He just looked at her, calmly got off of her, disappeared for a few minutes. She started panicking, not knowing what was going to go on. And he walked back in, pulled out a giant knife, looked at her, stepped stabbed the knife into her vagina and started twisting it around inside of her and then he pulled it out and left her to bleed out and die just assuming she was going to be killed there was so much blood that it seeped through her bed through the floors and dripped from the ceiling into the apartment below them what the neighbor he saw this blood dripping into their apartment he went upstairs and he just heard these screams these death screams he was knocking on the door and he just heard these screams so he kicked down the door found her and took her to the hospital margaret got to the hospital slipped into a coma for three weeks but survived when she woke up she found out that she was one let me say say that when she woke up she found out that she was no longer able to have kids because of the severity of the damage but she was going to live good she was so manipulated by Peter at this point, though, that she refused to tell police what happened in fear that something worse is going to happen to her or her family. Plus, she was so fucking brainwashed and manipulated by him. She's only 17 what or 18 at this point. What the fuck is her family's reaction to this? They don't know any of this is going on. They think everything's perfect. Oh, my God. So the hospital released her to Peter the next morning. No. Thinking that everything They're was great. They're not even married. They're not even fucking married. So Peter, he grew paranoid that this neighbor was going to suspect him of hurting I'm Margaret. I'm so mad at everyone involved in this story I, except for her. It gets way worse. This whole situation. Oh my situation. god. <laughs> so he gets way paranoid that the Peter was obviously going to suspect that he hurt Margaret because obviously he did. So he decided just to move her 500 miles away to Brighton, England, and he forced her Literally to Literally the him. only two people I like are her and then the... Uh, the investigator that had to spend three hours. <laughs> right. Oh, and then the other girl victim, too. Victoria Cluck. So she, he moved her away 500 miles, forced her to marry him. And once again, what? Margaret was forced to stay in this apartment at all times during the day. You know, she would rarely be allowed outside. And when she did, she was just heavily supervised by Peter. Whenever Peter did leave the apartment, you know, to go do crime, to get money, um, he would lock Margaret inside of their bedroom or bathroom. It was just horrible. Time went on. Peter noticed how depressed and lonely Margaret was. She was just becoming less and less of a human every single day. So he That's did, what he notices. So he, he decided to get her a puppy. He adopted a 10-week-old black border collie and named her Butte. 
Oh. So I'm just going to tell you right now. Skip ahead about 15 seconds that if you don't want to <laughs> listen to this next part. We know what's happening. <laughs> uh, I cried when I first yeah. researched this. Oh, my God. Margaret fell in love with the dog. Ten-week-old puppy. She loved him like her own child. This dog, with the dog, you know, she was allowed to go outside a little bit more. And, you know, she finally had something to live for and care for. Something that showed her unconditional love and the companionship that she just craved for for two years now. For a year, two years. This dog was everything to her. Like, this dog was her to lose. Everything to her. Yeah. The dog was just 10 years, 10 weeks old. Baby. So, you know, obviously, it still needed to be trained. Needed to be house trained. Yeah, trained. yeah, yeah. It still barked and everything like that. It's a puppy. Like, what do you expect? Um, one day, Peter let Margaret walk outside by herself. First time in a long time. She's allowed by herself. So, she took the opportunity. Of course, she did. She walked around the block. By the time she got back... She walked in. She noticed her dog was gone. Oh, no. She looked at Peter, and she was like, where the fuck is Butte? And he said the dog annoyed him when it barked, so he threw it outside. Margaret ran to the window. Ugh. Just, yeah, Um, just brush over it. And she found the headless body of her puppy. Um, Then she then heard what sounded like a ball being tossed outside. And when she looked outside, she saw a group of teenage boys playing football with her puppy's head. She screamed and collapsed, and then Peter raped her next to the headless body of her puppy. Oh, my God. Why? I'm done. Done. Moving on. A few months passed by, so you should just know how much of a monster Peter is. At this point, if you haven't already gathered that. Um, A few months passed by, and Peter was arrested for a crime he committed back in Glasgow. Um, Police also arrested Margaret, thinking that she participated in the crime as well. They transported them back to Glasgow for questioning. Quickly, police realized that Margaret was not a criminal and let her go. Margaret was able to call her parents, and for the first time in two years, she ran into the arms of safety. She was finally able to, like, get up the courage and tell her parents everything that happened, and her parents were like, you're fucking never going back to him. And Thank they God. divorced her from Peter oh. that year, which is 1971. Oh, they were married. Yeah. He oh, forced sorry. her to get married. Oh, okay. I, I didn't. I mentioned that when they went to Amidst Brighton. all of that shit, I forgot that. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so she was able to divorce Peter in 1971. Thank God. Now, over the next two years, so by 1973, Peter was arrested two more times um, for, you know, other crimes that he committed, theft, burglary, all that good stuff. Um, And by 1973, he found another girl to manipulate. This girl is 30-year-old Sylvia Jeffries. Um, She was in Brighton, England. Um, Sylvia was a nurse, super kind, you know, very similar to uh, Margaret in some ways. But she was 30, so there was kind of a big age difference. Yeah. Um, Their marriage, you know, he found her, married her, manipulated her, the classics. Um, Their marriage quickly turned abusive. Uh, Peter, you know, constantly raped her, beat her, belittled her, manipulated her, isolated her, did everything that he could possibly do to make her nothing but his property in a sense. Um, She got pregnant with two kids. One girl passed away when she was a baby, probably was killed. Um, And then the other was a boy. I don't have any information on that boy. Uh Um, The marriage continued to be abusive up until 1976. So she was married to him for three years. Um, that's when Sylvia got up the courage to run away with her son and divorce Peter. 
So over the next 10 years, so from 1976 to like 1986, 1987, um, Peter was in and out of prison for a variety of crimes. He could never get jobs because of his criminal record. So then he would just go continue to do do crimes. It was like a whole vicious cycle in and out of prison. And then in 1987, when Peter was 41 years old, he met 16-year-old Kathy Wilson. Kathy grew up in in foster care her entire life. And she was living on her own by the time she was 16. She was broken and vulnerable. Peter's ideal victim. Very easy to manipulate. Uh, Peter, since he was, you know, almost more than twice her age. She was age, 16? Yeah, and he was 41. He kind of became her father figure. Um, he used this to manipulate the shit out of her and made her completely dependent on him. Obviously, like the rest of his relationships, the relationship quickly turned abusive. And within months, she became pregnant. Um, The abuse continued throughout her entire pregnancy. So for all nine months, she was still violently beaten, violently raped. And then at 17 years old, Kathy gave birth to Daniel Tobin. um, And then she was forced into marriage with Peter. Peter moved Kathy and Daniel around constantly. Um, again, because he couldn't keep down any jobs, he would rob stores, people, etc. And then whenever anything got sketchy, he would just move his family. Yeah. And not move his family to like the next town. Like move his family a couple <clears throat> hundred miles here and then back to here and to here and to there. Yeah. Every single time changing his name. So there's a lot of gaps with Peter. To- every single time he would like move, just think like he probably changed his name. So there's a lot of gaps in like what really happened when he was in certain locations or where he even was. Um, especially during that like that 10 years from 1976 to 1987. Who knows where he was, how many names he yeah. had. Anyways, um, in 1988, Peter moved his family to Brighton, from Brighton, England to Bathgate, Scotland. Um, as soon as they moved to Scotland, the abuse was already bad, but it got even worse. It was severe, to say the least. It, like, it went from, you know, every other day beatings to morning, afternoon, night, beat her, rape her Jeez. in front of Daniel even. Um, he was just a complete monster to her. Um, it is important to note, though, that he never hurt Daniel. He never yelled at Daniel. Okay. He was, like, Weird. a great father. To, like, the outside, he looked like the greatest dad on earth. Oh, but wow. on the inside, he was just a fucking monster to Kathy. Um, some time passed and Kathy, you know, she was wanting a divorce from Peter and she wanted to get her baby away from him. Just really scared that one day he would turn. One day he would start beating Daniel or Daniel's going to get old enough to realize that his mom's getting beaten or he's going to grow up thinking that's normal. So she was like, I need to leave him. She brought it up to Peter that she was going to divorce his ass and leave him. And Peter fucking lost it. He told her that if she tried to leave, he would kill Daniel in front of her. <sighs> rape her next to their dead son's body, kill her, and then kill himself. So she felt stuck. For the next three months, Peter didn't let Kathy or Daniel out of his sight. Um, In 1990, Peter left the house just for the day to do, like, his casual crimes. And Kathy took the opportunity to escape with Daniel. Um, She grabbed their clothes, a tiny bit of money she has been saving, and she ran to that bus station with Daniel in her arms, and she was able to get all the way to Hampshire, England. Uh, Peter was really angry with Kathy, and he wanted Daniel back, and he wanted to make her pay, so he followed them to Hampshire, England, and then he went to the court, and he was granted shared custody of Daniel. What the fuck? Kathy was forced by law to share Daniel and see Peter. 
Yeah, Peter. Yeah, Corey's like gasping right now. Um, in 1991, Peter had he had moved from Glasgow to Margate in Kent, England, which is like a town near Hampshire. He oh stayed there God. for a few years and then moved to Hampshire. On August 4th, 1993, um, Peter is watching five-year-old Daniel at his apartment when he heard a knock on his neighbor's door. Um, he looked out and he saw two girls, one 15 and one 14, um, knocking on his neighbor's door to see if the friend was home. No one was answering. A few minutes passed. They were still knocking, still trying to be like, Susie, Susie, where are you? And Peter noticed or realized, okay, the neighbors are for sure not home. So he opened the door. He opened the door holding five-year-old Daniel in his arms. And he looked at the girls. He said, hey, I don't think they're home yet, but they should be home soon. Do you want to come in and wait inside here? Um, like, it's just me and my son here. And oh, then, my like, God. When the neighbors are here, you can <laughs> Run go to them. away. Now, the girls, you know, they noticed that he was holding his five-year-old son. Oh, so they deemed him safe. Yeah. So they walked into his apartment. So they sat down, walked in his living room, sat down. Peter was, you know, trying to act all charismatic because Peter, as I mentioned a few times, was charismatic. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, teenage girls was his, like, target to manipulate. He just assumed all of them were easy, especially since he had his five-year-old son with him. So they were just sitting, chatting. You know, he was trying to make the girls feel more relaxed. And then he was like, I'm going to go put down my son for bed. Uh, put down Daniel, walked back into the li- living room, and really tried to turn on the charm and, like, m- start manipulating these girls. Yeah. But it wasn't working. Like, Good. these girls weren't Fuck really falling yeah. for it, and they started getting pretty uncomfortable. And so they, they're getting up to leave, and Peter stopped them, and he's like, you know what? Like, I'm sorry. Like, let me just get you a drink. Like, let's just relax. Like, your neighbor, our, my neighbors will be back any this minute This is playing now. out like the most intense five-minute scene, like, movie scene ever. Right? <laughs> and so the girls were like, okay, like, we'll just, we'll sit here for a few more minutes. But if the neighbors aren't here in, like, five minutes, we're going to leave. Oh and he's God. like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like, I'll go get you guys some water or something to drink. So he walked into the kitchen, and he mixed together vodka, hard <gasps> cider, and amitriflin, which is a really strong, really strong antidepressant. Um, he and like anti-anxiety medication um, he brought out the drinks and he had a knife behind his back and he handed the girls the drinks and they obviously noticed like there's it smelled alcohol. like vodka there's fucking vodka in this like there's a strong cider like this is not okay and when they were looking at, at their drinks kind of hesitating he pulled out the knife and held it to one of the girls throats and he oh, said no. you're gonna fucking drink this drink and this 14 year old and 15 year old little girls they drink it they drank the drink and he thought it knocked them out, but it didn't. They were still conscious, but they just were not in control of their they limbs. They could not, yeah. So it's kind of like Lost, like the Diamond episode. They're paralyzed pretty much, yeah. but completely lucid for most of it. But they couldn't speak. They couldn't uh. move. They couldn't do anything. And then Peter began raping and sodomizing the girls repeatedly and repeatedly again Dang. and again and again. And then he brought that knife. And he started stabbing the younger girl. <gasps> Daniel woke up kind of hearing this this commotion, like his dad grunting and stuff from the other room. And little five-year-old Daniel walked into the living room mid-stab, mid-rape. And Peter just looked at his son calmly and said, hey, one of these girls fell. Can you go to the kitchen and grab an ice pack for these girls? And Daniel walked into the kitchen, got the ice pack. Peter got off the girl, met Daniel. He's like, why don't you go to bed? I'm going to take care of this girl, make sure she's okay. Daniel confused. He's five years old. He went back to bed. So Peter, he went and grabbed his phone. 
um, like the home phone. He called Kathy, you know, just Daniel's mom. And he said, hey, I'm having chest pains. I think I need to go to the hospital. Can you come pick up Daniel for me? This guy's like such a piece of shit. Yeah. And Kathy was like, okay, like I'll come pick up Daniel. Like I'll be there, you know, 10, 15 minutes. So then Daniel, you know, dragged the girls, I think either like behind the living room, like the couches or into the kitchen. Uh, A few minutes passed by. Kathy knocked on the door. He let Kathy in. Kathy had no idea that there was two girls that were conscious, able to recognize there was another human being there. Oh, my God. That weren't able to scream or move, weren't able to call for help. Their only chance of help right there. Kathy walked in, didn't notice anything was wrong. Oh, my God. Peter handed her Daniel. She said, do you want me to stay? And, like, do you want me to call an ambulance? Want me to take you to the hospital? He was like, no, no. Like, you go. I'll take myself to the hospital. Just take Daniel. Like, I'll be okay. Oh, my God. Kathy to know this later on, too. Yeah. And Kathy was like, okay. She took Daniel. You know, she left. And, uh. And yeah, and then Peter, he turned and looked at the girls, thought they were pretty much dying at this point. One of the girls had a stab wound. As far as he knew, they were pretty much knocked out. So he decided to run. So he left his house that night thinking that the girls were pretty much dead. Yeah. Um, But a few hours passed by. He was already long gone, and the girls finally regained their ability to move. And the girl that was stabbed. They just went to their friend's house to play. Yeah. And the girl that was stabbed or hang out, their teens. Survived. They dragged themselves out of the apartment. You know, they went to the neighbor. They told them what happened. They went to the police. But by the time the police got back to the apartment, Peter was already long gone. Yeah. Peter was on the run for forty days and during that time joined some random ass cult using a fake name. <laughs> what the fuck? Someone in that cult recognized him as Peter Tobin called the police. He's like, hey, we're a cult, but we don't do that. Yeah, but like, fuck. <laughs> we're not a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, we're not like a deca- like puppy decapitating, little girl raping, manipulative monster. Um, so police arrested Peter Tobin on May 18th, 1994 at the Winchester Crown. Let me re-say that. Police arrested Peter on May 18th, 1994. I'm at Winchester Crown Court. Peter Tobin pled guilty. He received a 14-year prison sentence for the rapes of both girls. He only served 10 years and was released in 2004. So what happens next between 2004 and then 2006, the murder of Angelique Cluck, we will discuss next week. Uh, I just, like, I know there's already laws that have already thought through this, but I just, like, wish that, like... I mean, it's the law and the judges were just following the law, but I just like, like, I just, if somebody create, if somebody does what he just did, I just want like all of the parole officers and the judges to be sent a formal letter of like, this is what this person did when you said they were okay. Right. I don't know like if that's super controversial, but like, just, Hey, just so you know. Yeah. Like, this guy's a fucking monster. He drugged and raped and stabbed teen-year-old, like, 15-year-old. When his five-year-old son was in the other room. And he was only sent to prison for 15 years. And only served 10. And only served 10. So, like, just thought you'd know he did this within a year after getting out. So, next week, we're going to go over, like, those two years between, like, him getting released and Angelique Cluck's murder. We're also going to go through other confirmed murders that he had done and potentially 
a large number of victims that he is oh responsible for and his relation to Bible John. So that will be next week's episode, oh everybody. God. And then the week after that, we will go into cults. Yay. We'll have fun with cults. We'll have fun. <laughs> but we're not going to have fun. <laughs> so Peter Tobin's obviously a fucking monster. Yeah, that's that's sort of horrible. That's like up there with Marie Laveau, whatever, or what's her name? The New Orleans idiot girl. From Coven, that was based off a real girl. Yeah, that, like, and then and then the kids with that little girl in the. Oh my god! Yeah. And the uh, toy box. Toy box. I need to do a revisit on the toy box. Oh my god! I'm not. Just don't invite me to that episode. Well, you're in this podcast. <laughs> you're in the episode. Just have Simone meow for me. Simone's like, what fuck? <laughs> I need to do a revisit just because it was so rough the first. Uh, god damn it! I day. hate that fucking episode. But anyways, Corey, <laughs> how is your sex life? My sex life's great. Um, I mentioned. I forgot to ask him again. I need to ask him. So we're not gonna mention his name, but you know who you name, are. But you know who you are. He'll listen to this episode. Um, I, he came down, so I went and visited him for LA. We talked about that, yes, right? Yes, we did. Um, and then he came and visited me for Valentine's Day. Yes, he did. Yeah. And I met him. Yeah. He, and then Chana and Jordan met him. I love him. It was super him. fun. I would die for him. We had such an enchanting weekend. Enchanting is magical. All of that. It, just, was, it was lovely. Just look at Corey's Instagram. Yeah. Just look at my Instagram. You can put two and two together. I would die for him. <laughs> I love him. Yeah. I love him too. It's fun. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, that's fun. We don't need to go like into that. Corey enough. has the biggest smile on his face. It's so cute. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's that's all I care about saying. Ah, that's <laughs> the cutest. Thing what in I the world. did we see any fun movies or anything? Did I see any fun movies? Uh, well, for, through him, he made me watch La Dolce Vita. Uh, Dolce Vita, I think. I forget. Sorry, right now. Um, a great film. It's like a 1960s Italian. Uh neo-italian realism film it's really good cool whatever. um really good um what else have we seen what else came out did i go see a movie it was a very busy work week like we pretty much worked and then you then he came and now and we're he here came. yeah and now we're here oh oh my gosh did i talk i know i told you about it i saw the lodge oh yeah with him in la yeah Oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna force Jordan to see it this week. Y'all, like if you go see the lodge, it's very good. It's very fucked up. It's like stuff we talked about today with death cults and Ooh. like psychological thriller. Yes. It's like the themes. Um it's very dirt it's vi- it, you know, it was made by the these like uh Scandinavian people who did Goodnight Mommy that came out like two thousand fourteen. It's a like it's a psychological horror film. Wait, is that the movie Goodnight Mommy? Is that the movie with the mom that has like the The bandages? The bandages? Yes, and the twin boys oh. don't think it's don't think it's her. Ah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's Fuck it's a gritty that. it's a gritty um Scandinavian or Eastern European film. That's all you need to know, man. Like it's not gonna be fun. It's gonna be bleak as hell. It's gonna be um, for me, I would say the like it. It was too bleak. I'll never see that movie again. Here's the thing. There's Corey, some fun twists. Corey had to get up and walk out at one point. That's uh-huh. how intense. So it was. I would say if y'all have grown up in a cult or if you've grown up in like a very religious background that you have rejected and you're not like you don't really necessarily like or have like a lot of positive views on, there they literally 
they they literally play the organ of near my god to thee and that is also a, adopted as a mormon hymn uh. and it's like during a really fucked up time and i had to go to the restroom a little bit and actually the guy that the guy who went to go visit i can't say his the name wonderful i never t- he'll hear this but i like he was like are you i asked him if he was okay because some things happened and he was like reacting to them but then he was asking are you okay when we get like very religious uh. and i was like yeah i'm okay it's fine um, but I had to go to the restroom, but I was like, I don't, I could wait till the end. But when that happened, I was like, I'm out. I'm going to go to the restroom to just like take a 30 second breath. You're like, the SpongeBob. <laughs> I, I'm going to head out. Yeah. I'm going to head out. And I've never done that. I've never done that for a horror film, yeah, that's but it like, was like suffocating. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. I'm done. Well, my sex life has been good. It yeah, was how's Valentine's your Day. Life? Um, Jordan and I had a great Valentine's Day. We got matching tattoos. So oh, as you guys yeah. know, we call each other Beb. So we got Beb and typewriter font on our butts yes. for Valentine's Day. Cute. It was very cute. We went and met Corey and Guy, and it was so fucking fun. Uh-huh. It was like my dream double date. Yeah, it was super fun. It was. We got so, drinks and have fun. It was so just ex- everything Corey and I have ever wanted for a double date uh, pretty much happened. I also bought gay porn magazines. Yes, you did, Daddy. Yeah, I'm gonna do some art with Hiram. Yes. Um, yeah, it was just a really good week. Well, Corey and I had some crazy shit happen at work because, you know, that's what always happens at Uh our work. We went through every emotion from we're going to have to shut everything down. Oh, that's very true. Within like an hour and a half. Yeah. Within an hour and a half, I thought like my company was going to come crashing down and then everything was okay. Yeah. And then we got Chipotle and like weirdly (laughs) silently ate it (laughs) because we were so stressed. But Valentine's Day weekend was super fun. It was very good. Jordan and I had great sex as always. Ate delicious food. Got matching tattoos. Got drinks. Everything you could ever want. We went to the ice castles. Yes, you did. It was super beautiful. Very awesome. Other places around the United States will do it. And then, oh, I went to a very spooky Mormon sculpture garden. Yeah, that was. I posted all the pictures on Instagram because they're real weird. It's very, like, occult. It's very spooky. Um, Just because there's, like, altars and, like, stone circles and, like, weird statues of, like, decapitated humans. Like, it's so weird, you guys. So I post on Instagram, so go look at it if you're interested. Cute. But it's pretty, it was pretty good. And now the rest of the week, we just have a lot of work. Do we have anything fun coming up? Your birthday's in a month. Anything fun coming up this week? Birthday's in a month. In two weeks, I might go back to L.A., but That's if true. not, it'll be like when you go to California as Yes. Well. I guess we need, something, we need to do something fun this weekend. We have a few days to figure it out. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good week. It was just a good week. Yeah. Nothing too like good week. crazy, but it was a good time. Oh, more than a good week for me, yeah. Yeah. Enchanting. So I hope you guys had a good Valentine's Day. Hope y'all got fucked. Hope you you used protection yeah. unless you didn't want to. I hope things went you do in you. things and it felt good. So um <laughs> yeah, so anyways, how's your sex life? Bye. Bye guys. See oh. you next week. <laughs>